Let's take our Bibles this morning from Genesis <coughs> chapter 49. Genesis 49 this morning, <coughs> excuse me, and we're just going to read verse 21 as we begin. It says, verse 21 says, Neftali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. Let's spend our time with the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to be here together in this place. Know, Lord, that there are many who can't be here today because of sickness and other reasons, and we pray that you'd have your hand upon each of them and that they'd soon be back in our midst. But Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, this morning now as we gather around your word. Lord, you quiet each of our hearts that we come ready to receive and to learn of you. I pray that you give us understanding of your word this morning, <clears throat> and that Lord, you would uh, refresh us through it, teach us by it. And Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit this morning. Give me wisdom and guidance that only you can give. Lord, I pray this in your Jesus' name. Now, of course, we've been going through <coughs> Genesis chapter 49. We've been uh, in chapter 49 for quite a few weeks now, going through uh, Jacob's words here, his final benediction unto each of his sons. And we've talked about the fact that these words are more than just his dying wishes. These are prophetic words, a prophetic revelation from God unto each of the sons concerning the future of not only them, but more importantly, the tribe that would, that would bear their name. And most recently, we've been considering the four sons um, born unto his, handmaid, his wife's handmaidens, Bilhah and Zilpah. And so far, we've considered uh, his words to Dan, Gad and Asher. Uh, verse 16 there, it says, Dan shall judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. I've waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. And so we've looked at these three sons already. <clears throat> we've seen that Dan was described as a serpent by the way, and we talked about how this had a dual meaning. It spoke of the fact that he would be a small tribe, but mighty. But it also spoke of the fact that they would be deceptive and deceitful. They would be influenced by the old serpent, the devil himself. And then, of course, uh, to Gad, Jacob declared that a troop would come against him. In other words, that his tribe would constantly face threats from the surrounding nations. But we're told uh, he was given the assurance that they would overcome at the last. They would be victorious uh, at the end. And then Asher, which we looked at last time, Asher was told of the blessed inheritance that his tribe would receive, uh, an inheritance that would be rich in the necessities of life, uh, rich in olive oil, and, and we're told that they would be good stewards of that inheritance. They would use what God had given them. And so this morning we come now to the last of these Four sons, uh, born to the handmaidens. And of course, his name is Naphtali. Mentioned here in verse 21, as we read before, Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. And Naphtali was the second son born unto Bilhah. And so that makes him Dan's 
younger brother. And we read of his birth back in chapter 30, so let's go there and read it, <clears throat> as we've done with the other sons. Genesis chapter 30. <clears throat> And verse 5, <clears throat> it says, And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, <clears throat> and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. So here we see that, Rachel, of course, she's the one who gives him this name, a bit like with the other sons to the handmaidens. It was Rachel or Leah who named them. And so Rachel is the one who gives him uh, this name here, and she calls him Naphtali, declaring there in verse 8, she says, For I've uh, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. And so the name Naphtali means wrestlings. That's basically what his name means. And, and Rachel gave him this name really out of her sinful attitude. Okay? It was born out of the attitude that she had towards her sister. She had this attitude of rivalry and jealousy towards her sister. And really, that's what this name speaks of. Okay, it sums up how she felt, that she felt she was entangled in this struggle with her sister, this struggle for Jacob's attention. And so it is perhaps fitting um, that the prophecy to Nephtali here speaks of him being let loose. You know, it's the very opposite of being... Uh, wrestling or being entangled, it speaks of him being let loose, free from entanglement, free from wrestling. The commentator Butler writes this, Again, there is a play on the meaning of the name of the beneficiary of this benediction. Neftali means wrestling or struggle. The benediction pictures Neftali as a deer who has been let loose from a snare in which he struggled, gaining freedom and then speaking goodly words. And so the prophecy here once more seems to fit the name of the son that Jacob is addressing. And with that in mind, we want to now consider the prophecy before us this morning and seek to understand uh, its fulfillment, how it is fulfilled. And so let's consider, first of all, the prophecy, the prophecy given here. Let's just read it again. It says, Naphtali is a hind, let loose, he giveth goodly words. And so there's obviously two parts to this prophecy here. Jacob begins by declaring that Naphtali is a hind let loose. The word hind here speaks of the female deer okay, or doe, just like the word heart okay, in the King James speaks of the male deer or buck. You know, for instance, Psalm 42 and verse 1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so, I so, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And so the heart there is the male deer, but here Naphtali is called the hind, the female deer. That's the illusion here given to us. And of course, this is not the first time that Jacob has used an animal to describe one of his sons throughout chapter 49. We've seen this a few times, haven't we? You know, he described Judah as a lion. He said that Issachar was a strong donkey and he called Dan a serpent or an adder. And each time he used one of these animals, he was using it as a description of their character and a description of the, the character of the tribe that would bear their name. And the same is true here with Naphtali. Okay? Describing them as a hind here is telling us something about their character, okay? their character as a tribe. So the hind was known for its agility, its fleetness and surety of foot. And we can see this evidenced in David's words in Psalm 18. Just turn over there, Psalm 18. 
Psalm 18 and verse 33. This is David's words. He says, He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon my high places. And so David here, he says that God has made his feet like hinds feet. And David here is speaking about the fact that God had enabled him to flee from King Saul. This is during that time when he's, he's on the run from King Saul. And so he's declaring that God has made his feet like hinds feet. He's, he's speaking about the fact that God has enabled him to be swift, to be agile in fleeing from King Saul. You know, David had obviously observed the, the, the deer in the wild, hadn't he? Okay, he'd, he'd observed it. He'd, he'd sat, he'd watched the, the deer in the wild. He'd seen how swift, how agile they were upon their feet. They were always prepared to run, to, to move. Especially at avoiding the hunter, he'd watched, you know, as they were able to avoid being hunted. And so in this, he saw a perfect illustration of how God had enabled him to flee the hunter, okay, to flee from King Saul, evade him. He was swift. He was agile. God enabled him to do this. We see the hind also used to express this imagery in Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's turn over there as well. Just to give us an idea of how it's used in the Word of God, this imagery. Habakkuk chapter 3, see it used in the, the same way that David did. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this, The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make uh, make me to walk upon mine high places, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And so again, the imagery here, is used in this sense of being fleet, uh, fleet of foot, okay, swiftness, agility, being prepared to move. And that seems to be how Jacob is using the hind here. Okay? He seems to be using it in this same uh, way to allude to the fact that Nephtali as a tribe will be characterized by their speed, their agility, their skillfulness, okay? their preparedness as well to move. And, you know, the phrase let loose, okay, he says Nephtali is a hind let loose. That phrase let loose adds to that imagery, doesn't it? Okay, it adds to that imagery because it speaks of them running free, not hindered, not restrained. You know, they're not likened here to a deer that's held in captivity behind fences. Okay, it's a hind let loose. It's one that's free to roam, you know, free to exhibit all of their agility, all of their speed. And many commentators believe that this particular uh, uh, illustration here of speed and agility speaks of the fact that the tribe would be um, excellent warriors. Okay? They would be skillful warriors. Now, the commentator Dielich writes this. He says, The hind or gazelle is a simile of a warrior who is skillful and swift in his movements. Morris also says this. He says, His descendants would be known for swiftness as warriors fleet of foot. And finally, Lang says this. He is a beautitious and active warrior, comparable to the so much praised gazelle. And so many commentators see that the hind is really an idea that they will be excellent warriors. They'll be swift and agile in war, in battle. And that seems to be how Jacob is using this imagery here. It's similar to what we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 concerning the Danites. Just turn there.
First Chronicles 12 and verse 8. <coughs> that should be the Gadites, sorry. It says this, And of the Gadites there separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for the battle. They could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the face of lion and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. So it's a similar idea to what uh, is described here concerning the Gadites. Okay? They were described as being swift as rose upon the mountains. Speaking about their agility, their swiftness, their skill as warriors. And that seems to be Jacob's point here concerning the tribe of Naphtali. And to this, Jacob then adds the, the second part. Okay? He says, Naphtali is a hind let loose. And then he says, he giveth goodly words. Now, the word translated goodly here, we could also translate that as beautiful. And so he giveth beautiful words. And so Jacob is declaring that Naphtali in some way would be known to speak or that from them would come these beautiful words, these words of eloquence. One commentator wrote this, Eloquence in prose and verse was characteristic of this tribe. Another said they would be known as composers of eloquent speech and beautiful literature. literature sorry. So together, this prophecy declares that the people of Naphtali would be swift on their feet and they would declare beautiful, eloquent words. And that brings us now to, under, to look and say, okay, well, where's the fulfillment? What exactly does this all mean? That's what he said about them. They'll be swift, agile on their feet, swift and agile as warriors. They'll speak beautiful, eloquent words. Well, where do we see this prophecy fulfilled? Okay, that's our second point this morning, the fulfillment of the prophecy. And when it comes to considering how this prophecy is fulfilled, it seems that there is both a near fulfillment and then also a far fulfillment of this prophecy. And so let's start by looking at the near fulfillment. The near fulfillment of this prophecy can be found in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5 with the story of Deborah and Barak. Let's turn over there, Judges 4. <coughs> Judges chapter 4, and we'll start reading from verse 1. <clears throat> Judges 4, verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehub was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, Hazor sorry, the captain of the host, whose host was Sisera, uh, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. So Judges chapter 4 describes for us yet another time during this period, okay, when Israel forsook the Lord. They were doing everything, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. They were in sin. And because of sin, they found themselves under the judgment of God. And so that judgment came in the form of the Canaanites. Okay? God sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. And so they were oppressed by the Canaanites here for 20 long years until finally they cried unto the Lord for deliverance. And God acts here through Deborah, as we read there in verse 4. Deborah the prophetess, she's the judge in Israel at this time. And she is the one that the Lord acts through here to bring about this deliverance. And in verse 6 and 7, we learn that Deborah sends and calls for a man named Barak 
to lead the army. Let's just read from verse 6. It says, And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Nephtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw towards Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and his chariots, and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And so here Deborah, she calls for this man named Barak, and he's the one chosen by God to lead the army. And if you notice there in verse 6, he's of the tribe of Naphtali. Okay, it says that she sends for him out of Kadesh, Naphtali. Okay, so he is from this tribe. He is the leader. He is the one chosen to gather this army. And the army that he gathers is to be composed of 10,000 men from the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun, it says there at the end of verse 6. So his army is composed of primarily this tribe and Zebulun. And Barak, of course, he heeds the call. As we know, if you know the story well, he heeds the call, but only if Deborah will go with him. That's his condition. Okay, He says, yes, I'll go, but you go with me. And so she agrees to go with him. And in verse 10, we, we read of him calling for the men of Zebulun and Naphtali to come to assemble to Kadesh. Verse 10, it says, And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. So he calls for the men to come, calls for this army to assemble. And we read that Zebulun and Naphtali, they both answer this call. They're swift to respond to the call and an army of 10,000 men is gathered. Now that's not a real big army, is it? That's a small little army really compared to some of the other armies that we read of during this time. But this small army led by Barak then goes out against the Canaanites. And in verse 14 to 16, we read of a great victory that God gives them. Okay, verse 14 says, And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, and ten thousand men after him. And the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his foot. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the hosts, unto Harosheth uh, of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, uh, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Um, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And so here we see, you know, these 10,000 men, they, they go up at the instruction of the Lord, they go out against the Canaanites, and they gain a great victory. Verse 16 concludes there by saying, and there was not a man left. Of course, except for Cicero, and we know what happens to him. Well, hopefully you do. Jael is the one who kills him. She gets the, the glory of killing him in her tent. But the other man here, it says there was not a man left. In other words, this is a complete victory here through Barak and through Naphtali and Zebulun, this small army. Against all odds, they gain a great victory. You see, earlier on, we said that you know, the hind here pictured their swiftness, their agility as warriors. And we can see that clearly here. Okay, we can see that evident here as this small army of men from Naphtali gather under the leadership of Barak from Naphtali and they go out and they, they gain this great victory. They're swift to answer the call to arms. 
and they show themselves to be excellent warriors, have agility in battle, this skill in battle. And their swiftness to answer the call is highlighted for us in Judges chapter 5, verse 15. In Judges 5, verse 15, it says, And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley. For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of hearts. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of hearts. Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore, and abode in his breaches. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Now here in Judges chapter 5, we see that while other tribes such as Reuben, Dan and Asher all refused to answer the call to come to the battle, Naphtali and Zebulun, but Naphtali was swift to answer. And we're told that they jeoparded their lives unto death in the high places of the field. In other words, their bravery, their courage, their skill in battle was evident for all to see. They put their lives on the line. So we see the first part of the prophecy is fulfilled here. Okay? They had this fleetness of foot as warriors. But we also see the second part of the prophecy fulfilled here as well. He giveth goodly words. You know, we said that this speaks about the tribe speaking beautiful or eloquent words. And in Judges chapter 5, we have the beautiful, eloquent words of Deborah and Barak as they sing praise unto God after the victory of Judges chapter 4. Just read with me from Judges 5 verse 1. <clears throat> Judges 5 verse 1 says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord. For the avenging of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves, and we could go on and read, and it's a song. Okay, we know this, the song of Deborah and Barak. They sing this song together. And Barak, as we said, he was from the tribe of Naphtali. And so in this we see a fulfillment of these words, these beautiful words. Many commentators point to these two chapters as the fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay, as a hind let loose, speaking of their swiftness as warriors, the goodly words, this beautiful song here in chapter 5. So that's the near fulfillment and we can, can see it fulfilled there. But there is also a far fulfillment of the prophecy. And I want us to look at that now secondly, the far fulfillments. You see, this prophecy seems to be beautifully fulfilled centuries later when Christ came to earth, called and sent out his disciples. And to understand this aspect of the fulfillment, we need to first understand where Naphtali settled in the land of Canaan. According to Joshua chapter 19, and we're not going to go there and read it, but Joshua chapter 19, which lists all the, the, the areas that each of the tribes were allotted, according to that chapter, Naphtali's allotment of land was to the north of Zebulun. Now remember we talked about Zebulun and how it stretched from coast to coast, from the Mediterranean right across to the Sea of Galilee. Okay, they had that stretch, it had a border on each. And so they were to the north of Zebulun, and they were also to the east of Asher. Now Asher, if you remember, they were on the coast. Okay? They had the coastal region of the Mediterranean. And so if they are to the east of Asher, to the north of Zebulun, it puts them around the Sea of Galilee, doesn't it? Okay? They have the whole region basically around the Sea of Galilee and to the north of the Sea of Galilee. That is the region of Naphtali. 
Okay, the Sea of Galilee. If you talk about that, you're talking about Naphtali. And of course, that is the region where the Lord Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry. And indeed, it's where Christ spent most of his ministry. It's in the region of Naphtali, the region of the Sea of Galilee. And you know, Christ beginning his ministry here in this region was the fulfillment of another prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9. Just go over there. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, just read verse 1. It says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. In verse 1 here, Isaiah speaks about how the northern tribes, and in particular he mentions here Zebulun and Naphtali, how these northern tribes were the first to suffer okay, when they were invaded and they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And the reason that they were the first to suffer that affliction being carried away is because they had turned away from God. Okay, they were the first to turn away from God unto idols, the northern tribes. You know, they were in darkness. And as I said, Naphtali in particular is mentioned here, aren't they? Okay, Naphtali is mentioned as being one of these tribes in the darkness of sin. They've turned away from God and so they were afflicted, they suffered. They were carried in to captivity by the Assyrians. And we read of that happening in 2 Kings chapter 15. Just turn over there, keep your finger in Isaiah 9 because we'll come back. But 2 Kings 15... Verse 29, 2 Kings 15 and verse 29, it says, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ijon and Abelbeth, Makar, and Jonah, and Kadesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali, and carried them captive to Assyria. And so in 2 Kings 15, we read of this taking place. We read of this king, okay, Tiglath-Pileser, he comes, the king of Assyria comes, and he takes Naphtali into captivity. Okay, Naphtali is the first, one of the first tribes to be taken, one of the first to suffer. Because of the darkness of sin, they turned away from the Lord. Then, of course, Isaiah goes on in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. So, to keep your finger there, Isaiah 9, verse 2. He goes on, he says this, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah prophesies in verse 2, that God would honor Naphtali with the privilege of being one of the first regions to receive the great light. Of course, the light is the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so they were one of the first regions to receive this. That was Isaiah's prophecy. They would be one of the first to receive the light. Gusick sums up the prophecy. He says this, 
The northern tribes were the first to suffer from the Assyrian invasions, so in God's mercy, they will be the first to see the light of the Messiah. It's the first region to suffer under the affliction of captivity. It's the first region in God's grace and mercy to see the light of the Messiah. This was Isaiah's prophecy, and it was perfectly fulfilled when Christ came to earth. Go over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12 says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Nathalim, uh, Nephilim, sorry, <clears throat> that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way <clears throat> of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Matthew 4, we see the prophecy fulfilled. And Matthew alludes to it, he points to it, he says that the prophecy might be fulfilled. It was here that Christ, the light of the world, began his public ministry. It was here in the region of the Sea of Galilee, the region of Naphtali. It was here that he began his public ministry. It's here that Christ began to declare the beautiful message of the gospel. Now in verse 17 it says, From that time Jesus began to preach... And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here that Christ began to preach. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here that Christ began to declare the beautiful gospel. You see, in this we see not only a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that Naphtali would be one of the first to receive the great lights, but we also see a fulfillment of our words this morning. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 21, Naphtali giveth goodly Words from Naphtali's region, goodly words will be spoken. Indeed, the words of Christ were the most beautiful words ever spoken. Most beautiful words of all. The gospel message was spoken in Naphtali first of all, and it was spread forth from there to every other region. That message, of course, was taken swiftly, like a hind let loose by our Lord's disciples who Christ called from this very region of Naphtali, the Sea of Galilee. We go on there in chapter 4 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw... Other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship of their father and followed him. Here we see Christ calls the very first of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're called to follow the Lord, and they're called from where? This region around the Sea of Galilee, the region of Naphtali. You know, it wasn't just these four disciples who came from this region. 
It appears that the majority, if not all, of Christ's disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, came from or either lived in the region of Galilee or they came from that region before they were called to follow the Lord. You see, these men called from the region of Naphtali were commissioned and sent forth by Christ with goodly words. The beautiful words of the gospel. We see that in Matthew 28, don't we? Go over there, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. There it is again, the same region. Went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission. You know, Christ here, again, these events are occurring in the region of Naphtali, Galilee. It's from here that Christ gives his disciples the great commission to go and teach all nations. They're commissioned by Christ to go and carry swiftly, with agility, with skill, the good news of the gospel unto all the world. And indeed, by the time the disciples all passed into eternity, the gospel had spread right across the known world. Within those few short years, the gospel spread all over the known world at the time through these men who Christ had sent forth. And so once more we see a wonderful fulfillment of these words of Genesis 49 and verse 21. Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. These men from the region of Naphtali went forth swiftly preaching the goodly words of the gospel message. They were, if you like, like a hind let loose, carrying beautiful words. You know, this prophecy is also a wonderful picture of what we all must be as the disciples of Christ. You know, the Great Commission of Matthew 28 applies to all of us, doesn't it? Not just the disciples. It applies to all of us. We are all commissioned by God to carry swiftly and skillfully the beautiful gospel message unto all the world. In Romans 10, you know, Paul speaks about the need for us to go. Let's just quickly go there. Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, Paul speaks about the need of us to go and preach the gospel message. You see, men will not get saved except there is a preacher. Except we share with them the good news that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day except we go as faithful messages with our our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace men will not come to know the savior except we go 
You see, we must all be like a hind let loose and be swift, agile, and ready to declare the beautiful words of the gospel unto all men before it is eternally too late. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this short prophecy this morning. And Lord, the wonderful fulfillment we can see in Christ and in his disciples that he sent forth to carry the beautiful gospel message unto all the world. And Lord, we know that that great commission applies to each of us as your disciples even today. And Lord, I pray you would help us to daily have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that we might be ready to proclaim the good news unto those around us. Well, may we be swift, may we be agile, may we be prepared to share the gospel message. We're blessed now as we close, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.